Well, turn with me in your Bibles to that passage that we read from in Ruth chapter 1. Recently, I was uh, watching the TV program, Who Do You Think You Are?, where people trace their ancestry and find out stories from their family history. And on this particular episode, a man was tracing his um, heritage back, and he had found that he had um, a native Canadian great-grandmother, and he was learning about the stories of that family. And he heard about this particular thing which had happened to his um, great-grandmother and her daughter, who was also a, a great-grandmother of his. And he heard about how they had been on a boat which had capsized in a river, and lots of the people who were on the boat had sadly drowned and died. But his um, relatives had survived And um, on the TV program, you saw as he suddenly realized that if his relatives had not survived that incident, then he himself would not be where he was today. He wouldn't be here at all. And maybe we can look back at moments in our lives and moments in the lives of our families and realize that those moments and the way things happened have led to us even being here and led to us being in the position, the situations that we now find ourselves in today. In the same way, I'm sure that all of us can think of decisions that we made at different points that have led to us being where we now are. Uh, Decisions to go to university in a particular place, decisions to take a job and move to a new town or a new city. These decisions shape the um, direction of our very lives, don't they? And as we come to Ruth chapter 1, we find three women who stand at a crossroads, really, in their lives. They have choices before them which will shape the direction of the rest of their lives. And as we'll see, these decisions shape not only the direction of their lives, but also human history itself. It's not too dramatic to say that we see that here in the book of Ruth. But the story starts not with three women, but with a family, As we start in verse 1, we read that there was a man of Bethlehem in Judah who went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So there's Elimelech and there's Naomi and there's their two sons, Malon and Kilion. There's a family and this is a family who lives, we're told, at the time when the judges ruled. The book of Judges precedes the book of Ruth, and there's a repeated refrain that we hear throughout the book of Judges, and the repeated refrain is also how the book ends. The last verse of Judges 21, verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. With some exceptions, this was a time of sin, a time of The people rejecting God and his ways and doing what they thought best. And as we meet this family who lived at this time, we frequently see or we um, come to see that this had been a time of them of difficulty. Uh, It's a time of famine. It's a time where they're forced to move with their family and um, soon tragedy strikes the family. Tragedy builds upon tragedy as this family unit, this family of six, becomes three widows. We see that in verse 3. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. They took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. And then verse 5, both Malon and Kilion also died. So the women survived 
her two sons and her husband. As we read just the first five verses of the book of Ruth, we see such pain, such difficulty, such tragedy, and it leaves us asking the question, why? Why? Why did this happen to this family? And we might conclude that what happened to them was a result of sin. We might conclude that the sins of the nation brought famine upon the land, that Elimelech's decision to leave uh, the land of Judah and move to the foreign land of Moab, that it was that sinful decision that brought death upon himself. We might conclude that his two sons' decisions to marry Moabite women, something which had been warned against previously, led to them having marriages with no children and then brought their deaths upon themselves as well. But as we read this story, the narrator of the story makes no moral judgment upon these choices. No direct line of connection is drawn for us between the decisions that were made and the unfolding events. Instead, the focus for us, and so where I want to direct our focus, is on these three widows, these three women who are left behind. The focus is on the circumstances that they find themselves in and the direction that they move themselves in and how their circumstances, as we shall see, come to change. While no moral judgment is made in this book, it's immediately clear, isn't it, that things are not as they should be. I'm not from Wales originally. You can probably tell that by my accent if you didn't know it already. And since living in Wales, one of the things that I've come to love is how places in Wales are so often named after something that's there. It's like um, Welsh people back in the day just looked at what they saw, and that's how places got given their names. If a place name starts with Abba, then you know that there's a river going to be there. If it starts with Kaya, then you know there's going to be a fortress or a castle there. And so it goes on. And the names here are significant as well. Firstly, we see that Elimelech and his family are from Bethlehem. We see that in verse 1. He's a man who lived in Bethlehem. And there's a famine there in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem, as many of you I'm sure know, know means house of bread. Bethlehem, the house of bread, is empty. There's a famine. And Elimelech and his sons, we're told in verse 2, are Ephrathites. Ephrathites, meaning fruitful, yet there's no food. And then Kalon, um, Kilion and Malon, these two, um, these two Ephrathites um, that we meet, they have no children in their marriages. They are not fruitful. Things are not as they should be. And that's why we see Naomi's estimation of the situation. It's profound, isn't it, how Naomi sees the situation that she finds herself in. We see in verse 13, Naomi tells Ruth and Orpah in verse 13 that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then in verses 20 and 21, she tells the women of Bethlehem what has happened to her. She says, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, meaning bitterness, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Naomi's um, estimation of the situation is bleak. Is here a woman who has acted sinfully and is now blaming the Lord for the consequences? Well, that's not really the impression that we get. What we see here in chapter 1 is a woman who has tried, along with her husband, to do what is best for their family in a difficult situation in an impossibly difficult time. She tried to act to help her family, a woman who's tried to do what she thought best. And yet it's 
uh, ended in difficulty, in death, in bitterness, in emptiness. But there is hope here. This chapter has a glimmer of hope in it for Naomi. There's a glimmer of hope, and it's right there in verse 6. She arose with her daughter-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. There's a glimmer of hope. The Lord has come again to his people in Bethlehem and has come bringing them bread. And so she has this hope that although she feels afflicted by the Lord, although she feels that the Lord has gone out against her, she still has a hope. And her hope is still in the Lord's, that the Lord has visited his people bringing them bread. And so she makes preparations to leave Moab and to return to her home, her previous home in Bethlehem. And it's not just her who make these preparations to leave, but her two daughters-in-law also prepare to leave with her. There are three women who begin this journey back to Bethlehem. We're told that Orpah and Ruth too make preparations and leave with Naomi on this journey. And we can imagine the three of them setting out on this journey together. They couldn't just hop in a car or jump on a train. They had to make their way on foot through difficult mountainous terrain, a journey of some 50 miles probably uh, back to Bethlehem. And we can imagine the the, um, feeling that would have been amongst them as they made out their way on this journey. I'm sure there was an atmosphere of sadness, of heaviness amongst them. And we can imagine them then as well arriving at the border between Moab and the land of Judah. And finally, Naomi speaks to her daughters-in-law. Finally, she tells them what is on her mind in verse 8. In verse 8, and Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Naomi acknowledges that her daughters-in-law have been kind to her, have been kind to to the memory of their deceased husbands. And she now releases them from any commitment to her and tells them to return to their family homes, to return to Moab, to return to their mother's house. Because there they'll know safety, they'll know security. There'll likely be the opportunity for them to remarry and find safety and security in the house of a new husband. She tells them to leave and to go back. And we see that one of her daughters-in-law does indeed do that. Orpah does indeed leave. She makes her choice, and she returns. We see that in verses 14 and 15. She puts herself first. She puts her future first and returns to her home. She walks away from any continuing attachment to her deceased husband's family, to their people, and to the Lord God as well. She returns, as Naomi says, to her home and to her people and to her gods, verse 15. Naomi seems convinced that there's no reason for these women to stay with her. She seems convinced that there's no hope for them, no prospects for them in the land of Judah and in Bethlehem. We wonder at this point, perhaps Ruth and Orpah are a painful reminder for Naomi Perhaps she's worried that they'll bring shame upon her as she returns to Bethlehem and brings them with her, foreign women as they were in that situation. Orpah makes her choice and she returns, but uh, but Ruth refuses. Ruth refuses to leave, refuses to return. 
And so as we're standing there on the border with Naomi and with Ruth and Orpah, we see these contrasting decisions. Orpah returns and Ruth commits to continue on. Ruth chooses Judah while Orpah chooses Moab. Ruth chooses Naomi and she chooses the Lord and the Lord's people. And we see that in Ruth's commitment in verses 16 and 17. Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Ruth commits herself to her mother-in-law, to Naomi. She binds together their future and what is going to happen to them. She ensures that their lives continue to be joined together, promises that nothing but death will separate them from one another, even at risk, even at cost to herself. Their shared lives of suffering have no doubt created a a deep affection for one another. Ruth would rather stay with her mother-in-law and face uncertainty in an unknown land than return to her home and seek security in the house of a husband. She commits, Ruth commits instead to a potentially, almost certainly difficult life, risking poverty, risking ostracism. She commits instead to her mother-in-law out of love for her. But there's more going on here. There's more going on here than that. Ruth is committing to the Lord, the God of Israel. On a deeper, more significant level, she commits herself to the Lord. She promises in verse 17, in the name of the Lord, to stay with her mother-in-law. And we clearly see that not ju- she's not just committing herself to Naomi, she's committing herself to the Lord. She's entrusting her future to the Lord. She's seeking refuge in the Lord. That's clearly how Boaz sees things. When Ruth meets Boaz in chapter 2, in verse 12 of chapter 2, Boaz says to Ruth, you have come to take refuge in the Lord, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's what Boaz says to Ruth. Ruth is showing radical love to her mother-in-law, but more than that, she's taking refuge in the Lord, the true and living gods. It's tantamount really to conversion. Ruth is forsaking her gods and is coming instead to trust and to entrust herself to the true and living gods. Ruth sees that it would be better to face uncertainty and all the risks that come with that in a foreign land, to her at least, with her mother-in-law, because the Lord is there. She entrusts herself to the true and to the living God. She clearly knows something of the Lord. We don't know how much she's learned about the Lord, but clearly she's heard enough to know that it's worth the risk, that it's worth leaving everything she knows behind to come and to take refuge in him. Ruth really is trusting in the same thing that Naomi is. The glimmer of hope laid before her is the same as it is for Naomi. The hope for her is that the Lord has visited his people in Bethlehem bringing them bread. And so we have these three women, and we have three women who return. In verses 8 and 11, Naomi urges her two daughter-in-laws to turn back, to return to their land, to return to Moab. And of course, Orpah does return to Moab. She's the first to return. Naomi, of course, we know she returns to the land of her kin. She returns to Bethlehem, to her homelands. We see that in verse 22. So Naomi returns. But Ruth returned too. 
Ruth returned too. It's an interesting use of language there in verse 22. So Naomi returns, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Ruth too returns. She returns to a land that she'd never been to before, returned to a land that she did not know. That word return is a significant one in the scriptures. It's significant in this chapter. It's used nine times in one form or another. Return or turn back. And through the scriptures, this concept is frequently used to to talk about turning away from God or used to talk about turning back to the Lord, returning to the Lord, especially in places like the prophets. We see these words, turning away, turning back to the Lord. It's a spiritual term for abandoning the Lord or for repenting and turning to him, coming to him. And interestingly as well, this is the same word that's used in Psalm 23, verse 3. He restores my soul. He returns the health of my soul to me. He refreshes my soul. And as we read in verse 22, we get the sense that this return for both Naomi and Ruth will ultimately be restoring for them. In verse 22, there is that glimmer of hope continued. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The glimmer of hope is brightening before them. The glimmer of hope gets brighter. The glimmer of hope that they were trusting in in verse 6 is coming to fruition as they return to the harvest. They hoped, they'd heard that the Lord had visited his people bringing them bread. And so it is. And bread for them would be life in a world of death. Our recent experiences had been of famine, of death, and now they come to a place where there is bread. They come to Bethlehem, the house of bread, which is now full, and it will bring life to them. Many of us know the story of Ruth that then unfolds, don't we? How Ruth meets Boaz, and Boaz redeems Ruth and Naomi and the family, and um, they get married, and there's a son, and his name is Obed, and we have this lovely picture at the end of Ruth. Sorry to spoil it for you, but it's important that we know this. There's this picture at the end of Ruth where the women of Bethlehem, the same women to whom Naomi had said, call me Mara, call me bitter. These women come to Naomi as she sits there with Obed, the baby, in her lap. And they say to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May he be a restorer of life to you. Same word, return, restore Life has come to those who had no life, who had experienced only death in recent times. Now, it's easy to see that this is an uplifting story, isn't it? It's a a wonderfully encouraging story, but it can feel distant from our experience, can't it? These events, these historical events, they happened long ago in situations very different to our own, where we just nip to Sainsbury's or whatever it is, when we need some foods. But this story speaks to us of a deeper story. This story speaks to us of the story which is at the center of human history. The story is connected to that story because Obed had a son and he had a son and his name was David, the king of Israel. And he had a descendant who we all know, Jesus. And maybe this morning as we come to this story, you do resonate in some way with the characters. Maybe you resonate this morning with Ruth. You realize perhaps that you're far off from the Lord's. And the truth is that at one point or another, all of us were or are far off from the Lord. The Lord, the one true and living God, the creator of everything that we see around us, the one who gave us life. 
God who is holy and righteous and just and perfect in all of his ways. Uh, At one point or another, maybe even still, we were far off from him without salvation. We were fallen. We were corrupted in our nature. We were spiritually dead, the Bible says. We were sinners, people who sinned, people who missed the mark, people who had broken God's law, people who had transgressed God's commandments, people who had gone against his holy and loving character, people who had rejected him and his ways, who turned away from him, who'd cut him off. And God's perfection, his holiness, his justice necessitates that justice be upheld. And his holy and righteous judgment comes upon people who reject him and his ways. God is the God who is life. God is the God who gives life. And to reject him is ultimately to choose death. Apart from God, far off from him, there is only death. We might live this earthly life, but ultimately there's death, death and judgment apart from the Lord. As Paul says, the Apostle Paul, the wages of sin is death. So what's the hope? If we're in that position, is there any hope? Well, the hope for us this morning is, is, is actually the same as the hope was for Ruth and for Naomi. In verse 6, we read, the Lord visited his people in Bethlehem, giving them bread. The hope for us in our sins, the hope for us facing death and judgment, the hope for us is the same, that the Lord visited his people in Bethlehem, giving them bread. That descendant, Jesus, that great descendant of um, Ruth and Boaz, Jesus, of David, where did he come from? Where did he come to when he came into this world? Well, he came to Bethlehem, didn't he? He was born in Bethlehem. And um, of Mary, of course, he was a descendant of David and of Ruth and Boaz, of uh, Mary and Joseph. He was a descendant in that sense, but he was also God incarnate, the eternal divine son of God, come to visit his people in Bethlehem bringing them bread, bringing them life. We know the story, don't we, in Jesus's ministry where he miraculously fed the 5,000 with just a few small loaves of bread. And after he'd performed that miracle, lots of people started following after Jesus because they'd seen him do this amazing thing. And what does Jesus say to them when they come to him? He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And the people say to him, well, what is this work that God requires? And Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. And then just a few verses later in John 6, Jesus declares, the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For my Father's will, Jesus says, is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. As Paul rightly says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, this is our hope that the Lord has visited his people, bringing them bread, bringing them the bread of life. And how does he bring life to us? Through his death. At the Last Supper, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. 
Jesus brings life to us through his body broken on the cross, through his body broken in death on the cross. As Jesus offered himself in our place, he bore God's wrath upon himself, God's wrath for our sins, for the sins of those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus. And as he breathed his last and gave up his spirit and died, he died the death that his people deserve. Life, our life, comes through his death. This is the only way for us to escape his righteous judgments, to escape hell, to, to know eternal life. The only way to find life is in Jesus, the bread of life. The message for us this morning is simple. Follow Ruth's example. Return to the Lord's. When the gospel is preached to us, when we have the gospel presented to us, we can say that in a sense, we stand at the border between Moab and Judah. We're presented with a choice. We either return to our old ways, return to sin and earthly pleasures, and ultimately choose death, or we return to the Lord's. We turn to the Lord in repentance and in faith. We turn to the Lord Jesus, the bread of life, and find in him true and everlasting life. Find a firm foundation for this life and for the, le- for the next Solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. It's there that joy, that uh, heavenly treasures, that eternal life is found. The message for us this morning is repent of our old sins, turn our back on our sins and the way that we lived before, and turn instead to the Lord. Turn to him in repentance and in faith. And just as Ruth, we're told, returned to a land that she never knew, for us too, in, in, the, in a sense, when we come to Jesus, we're coming home. We're, we're returning to a place that we'd never been to before. Humanity was created to know the Lord, created for relationship with him. But that was broken, cut off by our sin, invoking his righteous wrath upon us. But the Lord Jesus brings life, the bread of life, brings Um, true relationship with himself. And so we can return, we can come home, we can come to the one that we were made to know and to be known by. We can uh, know that we are loved by him. Only with the Lord Jesus does life have ultimate meaning and purpose. Only through his broken body can we be made whole in relationship with him, in union with him as, as he fills us with his fullness follow Ruth's example. Friends, maybe you resonate this morning more with Naomi than with Ruth. Maybe you're at a point in your life where life has left you feeling empty, grief and suffering and pain, illnesses, whatever it might be. These are our experience at the moment. Whatever it is that's occupying your heart and your mind this morning, whatever it is that that keeps you up at night, that's a good indicator of what this thing might be for you whatever it is that we're going through, the answer is the same. And this is a sermon that only has one point this morning, and it's this, return to the Lord Jesus. If you're in a situation where you're knowing these struggles and these sufferings, return to the Lord, turn to Jesus. In him, we find forgiveness for our every sin. With him, we find a suffering, sympathetic high priest. We find one who ever lives to pray for us one who is uh, risen, ascended bodily in heaven, even now praying for us, praying for his people, praying about those things that we're struggling with. As we turn to Jesus, we come to one who is ever present with us 
by his Holy Spirit. With him, our problems don't immediately disappear. That is certain. Naomi and Ruth, when they returned to the land of Bethlehem, their problems didn't immediately disappear. With him, our suffering will not suddenly end. But he came to bring us life and life more abundantly. True life. True life that can persist even through suffering. True life that can thrive even in the midst of suffering. True life that can even stand and withstand death because he defeated death for us. Friends, we need this refuge as we go through life. We need this firm foundation. We need this everlasting hope. Return to the Lord. Why? Because he has visited his people, bringing them bread. He has visited his people, giving himself, his son, giving himself in our place, giving his life for us, and most gloriously, giving himself to us that we might know eternal life, that we might know sins forgiven, that we might know conscience cleansed, that we might know his presence with us through every trial. But even more than all of that, that we might know him. Because as Jesus says, that is eternal life, isn't it? To know the only true God and to know Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. The Lord has visited his people, bringing them bread, giving them the bread of life return to him. Amen. Amen. Well, as we um, respond in worship to God's word, let's sing another hymn of praise, And Can It Be?
Father, we thank you for the declaration of the gospel so clearly given to us in such a warm manner. We thank you for the warmth that comes to us from the glory of heaven. God has visited his people and has given to us the bread of life. We thank you for all that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now as we uh, approach his table, we come because uh, he requested that we would do this in remembrance of him. Warm our hearts, we will pray. We think of those who can't be here through illness, who are laid aside, those caring for those who are unwell. We think of brothers and sisters enjoying a time of holiday. Father, uh, we pray for your blessing on those who can't be here through no fault of their own. But for those, Father, who choose perhaps not to be here at this particular service, we pray that, Lord, your spirit might move in a wonderful way and cause them again to return to the bread of life. But we are here, Father, bless us, we pray, while we wait on you. Amen.